there was a pastor who had arrived at his new congregation, gone through all the process with his congregation, all the interview process, stood before the congregation, had questions, answers. Congregation took a vote, and they voted to call him as pastor, and he followed someone who had been there for several years. And as he came into his office that first day and he sat down at his desk, he had boxes of books and he had things that he wanted to unpack and put into his desk and with a box there next to him, he pulled open the desk drawer and inside his desk he found three envelopes. And he looked at them for just a moment and as he looked at those three envelopes, he noticed that in the handwriting of what he had come to recognize as the former pastor's handwriting on each envelope, it said, this. On the first one, it said, open if you run into trouble. On the second envelope, it said, open if you run into bad trouble. And on the third, it said, open if the trouble is disastrous. He thought, that's really strange. He didn't open them because had specific instructions, but he thought he was kind of curious, but he just kind of tucked them aside in the corner of his desk, unloaded his stuff, put his books on the shelf, and he went about doing ministry. For a year, year and a half, he did ministry. But as with all new ministers, as with all ministries that they become connected with, there is this period called the honeymoon period where the new pastor can't do a whole lot wrong and the church is pretty forgiving. Well, the honeymoon period ended because there was trouble. And as the trouble set in, there was an issue that happened in the church. As the trouble set in, the pastor was sitting in his office praying about that situation, and he remembered that he had an envelope in his desk. And he reached into his desk, and he pulled out those three envelopes, and on one said, open if there's trouble. And he tore open the envelope, and he read the note inside, just a short little note. And on the note, in the other pastor's handwriting, it said, in case of trouble, blame me. Blame your predecessor. The pastor thought for a moment, I can't do that to him. This really isn't his problem. But the trouble got a little bit worse, didn't seem to get better. And so he blamed the predecessor. And it seemed like the trouble started to diffuse and fade away. And he had passed that hurdle. But then a year or two later, there was more trouble that popped up, and it was bad trouble. And he remembered the envelopes that were sitting in his desk. And so he reached in, and he pulled out the second envelope, said, in case of bad trouble. And he tore open the envelope because the first counsel seemed to work so well. And as he tore open the envelope and pulled out the letter, it said, blame the denomination. It must be the Baptist's fault. And so he blamed the denomination, and of course, it seemed like things eased up. And he went through for another few months, and he kept on going, and then disastrous trouble hit. And the pastor, not knowing what to do, he finally remembered that he had a third envelope. And he pulled out that third envelope, and on the front of it, it said, open in case of disastrous trouble. And he opened the envelope, hoping to find just the answer to that disastrous trouble. And on the note inside, it said, prepare three letters. <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of pastor jokes out there. 
I've heard most of them. I've heard them through the years. It's just one of those things that comes with the territory. People think because you're a pastor, they like to tell jokes to a pastor about pastors, and that's okay. I don't mind it. Sometimes we take ourselves a little too seriously. Some of them are long jokes like that. Some of them aren't all that funny like that one. Some of them are shorter jokes, kind of like the pastor who was riding home after church one Sunday in the car with his wife, and he had given what he thought was an excellent sermon that day. He had done just a wonderful job exegeting the passage, bringing all kinds of illustrations into the message that he gave. And as he was sitting there basking in his pride, reveling in his own glory, he turned to his wife and said, dear, how many great pastors do you think there are in the world today? And she looked at him and said, one less than you think. There are all kinds of stories out there about pastors there are Baptist stories, there are Catholic stories, like the Catholic priest who went to the home of a parishioner and sat down for lunch, and the parishioner had a little small girl. The husband and wife there, they had a little small girl, a little three-year-old child that just, she was precocious around church and stuff, but when the priest came to sit down for lunch that day, the girl just sat, and she scowled at the priest And the priest got a little uncomfortable after a while, and he kind of wondered what was going on there, but she just kept watching him and scowling at him. After a while, he started tugging at his collar, and the girl's eyes opened a little wider, and he realized that she was staring at his priest's collar. And he tugged at it a little bit, and he pulled it out, and he held it in front of her, and her eyes got real big. And he said, are you staring at this? And she nodded. He said, do you know what it's for? And she nodded again. She said, kills fleas and ticks for six months. (laughs) All kinds of jokes out there about pastors. Sometimes we take ourselves a little too seriously. Sometimes we think that we're a little more than what we really are. We're just fallen people, fallen men who are in this position of leading and ministering in Christ's name. Now, for these next couple of weeks... We're going to take a little time and we're going to talk about Christian leadership, but it's not going to be limited to just pastors. Because you see, I think there is, there is this, this sense among many who are in leadership that either we fall on one or other uh, of the end of the spectrum. We either fall on the end where we take ourselves a little too seriously or we take the task that we're called to a little too lightly. Now, Christian leadership inside a church goes far beyond that of a pastor, though a pastor is part of the Christian, the spiritual leadership inside of a congregation. But beyond a pastor, beyond those who on a ministry team might have the pastoral responsibilities, whether it's a youth pastor or a children's pastor or a discipleship pastor or a counseling pastor or a senior adult pastor, whatever it may be, beyond those who have pastoral responsibilities, we know that there are others who support and lead through what they do on a ministry team, but also those who in a lay position will lead. There are deacons, there are teachers, there are children's leaders, there are youth leaders, there are missions leaders, there are all kinds of leaders that are scattered throughout a church. And what happens is that sometimes we take ourselves a little too seriously. We think the world revolves a little bit too much around us or the ministry area in which we're involved. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, we take ourselves a little too lightly. We think that the task that we're called to do is really not that relevant. It's not all that important. It doesn't make that much of a difference. 
And somewhere in the middle, there needs to be this balance that happens with those who are leading in church. Now, before you tune me out, So we start into this three-week series out of Christian leadership. We're going to talk this week about just Christian leadership in general. We're going to talk specifically about God's job openings. God has a job opening. He has a job opening for you, and he has a job opening for you, and he has a job opening for me, because Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Every person is essential in the body of Christ. Every person has a task in the body of Christ. Some are out front, some are behind, some are easily seen, some are not so easily seen, but every person has a task. And in that sense, every person has a calling from the Lord. And we have a job to fill. He has some job openings out there. Now, like today, somebody who has a job opening, they might post that job opening on Monster or Indeed or have a headhunter look for somebody to fill that position. Some people still post a job opening in the classifieds, in the newspaper, not too many, but some do. Some post it on Craigslist, depending if the job is is one of those career jobs or just a fill-in job for a period of time. There are all kinds of places that people post jobs, but the descriptions often are still the same. They sound very similar. Someone is looking for this and this and this, and here are the qualifications we need for this person to fill this and this and this. Where does God post his job openings? Well, we already know the answer. He posts them in his word. And for you and me, he has a job opening today, and he wants us to stop taking his call lightly. It's time that we get a little more serious about the call that God has for us. Now, we're going to look today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 14 through 20, and we're going to focus on God's job opening and what he's looking for in a person to fill this position that he's calling you to, whatever the position may be. It says in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, even though we have known him personally, even though many of you, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, even though there are many people who saw Jesus, talked with Jesus, knew him personally, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
He's called us to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Take a moment and bow with me today. Father, as we listen to your word, as we look into your word, I just pray that you would use this passage to speak to our hearts about how you have called each of us into your service. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God has a job opening. God has several job openings. He has several things that he calls the church. He calls you. He calls me. He calls us to do. He has several job openings that he needs to fill. But in general, for all of those who would fill his job openings, there are some specific requirements. There are some requirements for anyone who would work on his behalf. And here in Second Corinthians chapter 5, he outlines what a spiritual leader whether it's a deacon, whether it's a pastor, whether it's somebody who's on a ministry team, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's a children's teacher, a missions leader, whatever that person, whatever role and function that person may hold. If they are a spiritual leader in the church, here's what God is looking for, according to this passage that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. First of all, God is looking for someone to serve as a spiritual leader who is compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to serve. Is compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to serve. Now, this is an interesting word that's there in verse 14. The word is, we are compelled by the love of Christ. We are compelled. Most major translations, most trusted translations have the word compelled in there. There are two others, the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Version, that have the word controlled. They translate this word in Greek that is translated as compelled in most translations. They translate it as controlled. Whether it's compelled or controlled, that word is still pretty accurate. Compelled, to compel someone. If someone is compelled to do something, They have this irresistible urge, this drive or forceful urge. It's irresistible to them that they have to do this task. They have to do this thing. I have been compelled. I must do. They are either forcefully or irresistibly from within bound to follow the task that they've been given. Compulsion, by extension, is an irresistible impulse to perform an irrational act. An irresistible impulse to perform an irrational act. Now, here's what it says. In verse 14, it says, we are compelled by the love of Christ to serve. Sometimes it doesn't make sense where we're called to serve. Sometimes it just doesn't make good sense. It may be an irrational sense of the Lord's leading, and yet we are compelled by the love of Christ to do that very thing. The person who really doesn't want to have their own children is compelled to serve Christ and volunteers to serve in children's ministry. 
the person who is a gifted teacher in school is compelled not to teach Sunday school, but is compelled to work by serving in the kitchen or setting up chairs each and every Sunday for ministry and worship to happen. We are compelled by the love of Christ to do this very thing. Now, there are plenty of people who are compelled to do some things in church, but they're not compelled by the love of Christ, and that's one of the distinctions here. Paul, as he writes this, he says, if we're going to be a spiritual leader in the church, we can't be compelled by our spouse. I'm sorry, nominating committee, but just because it's your spouse and you need this position filled, that doesn't mean that it's a good reason to have somebody be a spiritual leader. Because we shouldn't be compelled by the pressure of a pastor or a deacon or a children's pastor or a youth pastor or a spouse. We shouldn't be compelled by the pressure of what it'll look like if we turn this down. Well, I've got to keep teaching because I've taught for 20 years. I really need a break, and I think that the Lord wants me to take a break. But my Sunday school class, they're going to think that something's wrong, that I've given up my faith if I give up my Sunday school class. That shouldn't be the kind of compulsion that we have to serve. We're compelled because of the love of Jesus Christ. In other words, because Jesus loved me so much, I will do whatever I need to do whatever he asks of me to do, regardless of how irrational, regardless of how embarrassing, regardless of how self-conscious it makes me feel. And in Scripture, we have the perfect example. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, had a jar that had pure spikenard. Nard was, a, was an anointing oil. It was, it was a special fragrant oil. And it was, its value was immense. Its value was worth almost a year's wages in the amount that she had, almost a pound of pure spikenard. And while Jesus was reclining at the table with all kinds of Pharisees around, all kinds of leaders in the town, Mary took that jar of pure spikenard, and she came in, and while all of these eyes are looking at Mary, and they know some of the things that she's done, and they even mutter under their breath and say, if this man were really a prophet, he wouldn't be, let this, wouldn't be letting this woman touch his feet. She kneels down, she's crying and weeping over his feet, and she's wiping his feet with her tears, and she takes the Nard, and she starts to anoint his feet while everybody's looking. Can you imagine a more demeaning position for a woman in that society to be in? She's not Jesus' wife. Some people are probably thinking as they lean back, oh my goodness, this woman, she's been sleeping around with half the town. And now she's making a hit on Jesus right here in front of all us. But she was compelled by the love that Jesus had shown her to offer the sacrifice to Jesus. And Jesus even intervened. And he said, you know what? I came to your house, Simon, and you didn't give me anything to wash my feet. She's been washing my feet with her tears since she got in here. 
You didn't greet me with a kiss. She hadn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint me, but she's anointing me for something greater, my burial, which is coming. And I tell you, down through the generations, people will speak of what she's done. Why? Because sometimes we're just compelled because of what Jesus did for us to abandon our dignity, to abandon our self-consciousness, and serve him regardless of what it looks like to anybody else because his love compelled me. God's looking for a spiritual leader who is compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to serve. God's also looking for a spiritual leader who's able to look beyond, to see beyond outward appearances. Down in verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, when you see a therefore, you got to back up a little bit. It says in verse 15, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We're not living for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We can't look at people the way that we've always been looking at people. We can't look at human beings the way that we've always been looking at human beings. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We've got to stop regarding each other according to the flesh. According to the flesh, by outward appearances, by all physical and outward indications, God's looking for a spiritual leader who's able to see beyond outward appearances, is able to see beyond what's on the outside, because truth be told, our culture focuses far too much on what's on the outside rather than what's on the inside. We focus on a person's height, on a person's weight, on a person's beauty, on a person's dress, on a person's vehicle that they drive, the house that they live in. We've got to stop seeing each other this way. Far too often we look at outward appearances, but that's not what God looks at. In our culture, we get it very wrong, too. Yesterday was the, well, hold on. Do you know what these names have in common? Let me share with you a couple of names. Um, Giovanni Carmazzi, T. Martin, Chris Redman, Chad Pennington, Spurgeon Wynn, and Mark Bulger. Do you know who those guys are? Have any idea? Some of you may recognize a few of those names. A couple of those names may be a little familiar, but all six of these guys are quarterbacks who were drafted in the 2000 NFL football draft. They were all college football quarterbacks. They were all drafted by the NFL. They were all drafted as quarterbacks in the 2000 NFL draft. Why is this significant? Because the seventh quarterback that was drafted in the 2000 NFL draft, his name you might recognize a little better. Tom Brady. 
the quarterback who has five Super Bowl rings and who many say is the greatest Super Bowl or greatest quarterback that's ever played the game. I know that's open for debate. Some of you don't like him. I'm just saying that some people will say that. They drafted six quarterbacks in front of him. What were they thinking? How could you draft six guys in front of this guy who's won all those games? Because often we get it wrong. We look at what's on the outside. A person may be undersized. A person may not be as fast. We may not think that a person's as smart. And so we choose somebody else over somebody else. And God reminds us that if we're going to be spiritual leaders of his, we've got to stop looking at the outside. We can't be looking at things that are just trivial and insignificant. As spiritual leaders, we've got to see beyond outward, outward appearances because those things really don't matter. What matters is what's in the heart. And Scripture reminds us of this. When David was crowned as king of Israel, Samuel, the spiritual leader, the prophet of all of Israel, arrived at the home. And he came to the eldest son, and he thought in his mind, Scripture says, this surely must be the king of Israel. And God had to rebuke the spiritual leader of all Israel and say, quit looking at the outside. That's not the one. God's looking for a spiritual leader who can look at what's in the heart, can see the potential and the possibility of what someone can be. Maybe they're not there yet, but sees that God has made that person as, an, as a unique individual. And yes, that person must come to this place where they submit as well, but seeing the potential and the possibility for a spiritual leader is critically important. Some people will never achieve the potential that the Lord has placed in them, but it's up to us as spiritual leaders, as his representatives, to at least see that the potential is there, whether they grow into that or not. God has an opening. And for this opening of a representative of his, a spiritual leader, he's looking for somebody who's compelled by the love of Jesus to serve. He's looking for a spiritual leader who's able to see beyond outward appearances. And he's looking for a spiritual leader who desires to give others a fresh start. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God's looking for a spiritual leader who desires to give others a fresh start. Now, if we were going to select some people to be key leaders of a church today, if we were going to select some people to be key leaders, key servants of Christ in the church today, have you ever paused to think of what that job description might look like or sound like? If you really want to know what that job description might sound like, really, all you have to do is go on uh, one of these two websites. 
go to churchstaffing.com. It's really kind of interesting. Churchstaffing.com. It's where a lot of churches will post openings for positions they have at churches. If you really want to see what we're looking for in people to be spiritual leaders, that's a good place to go. All you have to do is pull up five or ten different job postings on there, and you'll see something like this. We want a person who um, is of absolute highest moral character. We want someone who has a master's degree, a doctoral degree, someone who has 15 years of experience and is 30 years old or younger. We want somebody who um, has never been in trouble with the law, never done drugs, definitely never inhaled. We, we want somebody who has never had a, a, a vile thought, a lustful thought in their entire life Please send all resumes to such and such. I mean, you know, it's amazing how similar they sound. They really do. I mean, we're, in most places, when we talk about who we want leading, we would rule out pretty much right away anybody who's been uh, a prostitute. We'd, we'd rule out pretty much right away anybody who's been in prison. I think we could eliminate right away anybody who has ever committed murder right? We would probably write off anybody who um, has ever stolen anything, embezzled, tax cheat. But you know, if we were to write off people like that, here's a list of some people that we would have already written off. We would have written off Rahab, who was a prostitute, Mary Magdalene, who was a loose woman. We would have written off Zacchaeus and also Levi, that guy who wrote the book of Matthew, because they were tax collectors and they got their income by cheating people on their taxes. We would have written off a guy named Simon, who was a zealot, who was a, who was a civil leader in, in unrest. We would have written off um, a guy named David who became king because he had Uriah killed and he slept around with his wife Bathsheba and got her pregnant. We would have eliminated somebody like Peter and John. We would have eliminated Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt. But you know that guy Judas who really is pretty astute and um, pays attention to all the financial resources and a good resource of all the things given to him, he looks like a good candidate. For us, oftentimes, we're looking at the wrong things. If anyone's in Christ, if anyone has come to Christ, if anyone knows Jesus, if anyone confesses Christ, well, Scripture says we give them time to show themselves as a workman approved unto God, but it doesn't mean that we eliminate them as a workman approved unto God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, friend. God is not looking for a perfect person to be a spiritual leader in the church. 
He's not looking for a perfect person to be a missions leader. He's not looking for the person who has a perfect marriage to be a marriage coordinator. He's not looking for a person who never did anything wrong as a teenager to work with teenagers. He's not looking for a person who has never done anything wrong as a child to work with children. In fact, we know, we know absolutely 100%, we know it in our hearts and minds that if that's the criteria, every single one of us is eliminated. We are all eliminated from the possibility of ever being a spiritual leader. The only thing that allows me to be a spiritual leader, the only thing that really allows you to be a spiritual leader is Jesus Christ, Christ in me. That's what Paul said. If there is anything good in me, that's Jesus. It's time that we take it a little more seriously. He has some job openings. He has some tasks. He has some things for us to do. And he's looking for people to fill that. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for real people. He's not looking for someone who has never done anything wrong. He's looking for someone who is forgiven of what they've done wrong. God's looking for a spiritual leader who is able and willing to give others a fresh start. And lastly, God is looking for a spiritual leader who will implore others on Christ's behalf. Verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore, we give this heartfelt plea. We call on you, we beg you. That's what Paul said. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you in Christ's place to be reconciled to God. You know, when I think of this image in Scripture, I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Genesis chapter 18 and 19, Abraham and Lot have split and gone in different directions. Abraham and his nephew Lot. Lot has settled in an area in a region, in a region uh, that is just a, a beautiful region, but it's, it's defiled by two of the towns that are nearby, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the immorality that's there. And Lot, who started out in the countryside near those towns, soon is drawn into those towns. And though Lot himself has not become somebody who partakes in those things, part of his family and his sons-in-laws have begun to partake in those things. And the Lord comes to Abraham and he says to himself, he says, should I reveal my plans to Abraham? Okay, I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham starts to plead with the Lord and says, Lord, if, if you're going to destroy that town, would you really destroy that town? If there, were, if there were 50 righteous people, would you really kill all of the, the righteous people there with all of the wicked? I know, God, I've heard things about that town. I've heard about Sodom. I've heard about Gomorrah. I know all the things that are happening there, and, and I don't want to live there. But God, would you really really destroy the 50 righteous people with all of those people who, are, who, who deserve death and deserve to be destroyed? Would you really do that? And God says, okay, I, I won't do it for, for 50. 
Lord, what if there are 45? What if there are 40? What if there are 30? What if there are 10 people there who are righteous? Are you really going to destroy those 10 with all of the other people who really deserve what's coming at them? Lord, would you do that for those 10? And the Lord says, I I won't do it for those 10. And what we get here is an image of what it is to implore on behalf of God, to implore on behalf of Christ. Would you really, would you really want to spend forever separated from God in an eternal hell? Would you really want to live your life as someone who has turned their back completely on the Lord? Do you really want to experience what judgment is coming? I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ to turn your life over to him, to trust him as Savior and Lord. That's the kind of person that God's looking for. They don't have to have a PhD. They don't have to have an EDD. All those things just mean piled higher and deeper. What he needs is he needs somebody who is willing, a spiritual leader who is willing to implore others on Jesus' behalf to carry this message that we are called to be ambassadors in doing. He's got some job open. And he's posted the job qualifications already. Now it's time for us, you and me, compelled by what Christ did, to step up and lead. Let's pray. Lord, we are not in a perfect church. Those don't exist on this side of heaven. But you do ask us, Lord, as flawed and sinful as we are, you do ask us to step forward and to be your spiritual leaders, representing you. You ask us, Lord, to stop looking at people according to outward appearances, be examining the heart, understand that there is a possibility of change. Lord, though we have to draw boundaries of how far we participate with people who are bound to turn their hearts from you, you ask us never to lose hope that you can turn that heart back. Lord, I pray today You'd remind us what it is to be a spiritual leader on your behalf. You're not looking for perfect people. You're looking for changed people, changed by the power of Christ, changed by the blood of Christ, compelled by the love of Christ, who are willing to implore others to follow Christ. Lord, this day, I pray that because of what you have done for us, 
that you would draw us to this place of service that you have for us. Not just here in this church, but beyond these walls. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Let's stand together.